Alright guys, it's episode 6 of Short Side Wristers. On today's episode, we cover the Hut Christmas Rewards, adjusting mid-game for your defensive strategies in Hut and Versus, as well as some esports drama. I'm No Sleeves 12, and let's get right into it. Gonna bury the lead a little bit, because the thing we're gonna start today with is the gigantic news coming at around midnight tonight that dedicated servers are what we're going to play on in Hut going forward for the next little while. Now, this is gigantic news for two reasons. One, it eliminates the pause glitch. Two, it eliminates IP booting, which is a gigantic issue that has plagued the game for so long. However, it will be interesting to see with what ha <clears throat> However, like in 6 is currently, which is run on dedicated servers, there is a problem with East versus West. The reason being is that you have to connect to one of those servers, and if you're on the West Coast and you have the West Coast server and you're on a planet, your opponent is on the East, in 6s it can give you a much smoother connection than your opponent, meaning that they're going to have a much harder time, feel really sluggish. And uh, that could cause some issues when you're playing someone. It won't show as lag, but you'll feel heavy, um, which is obviously an advantage to the person who is on the better connection as host. Now, it might not show as a green bar, so if it shows as yellow with the dedicated servers, 100% back out, at least for a little while, until we see if uh, if the servers in 1v1 changes from, uh, from what it is currently in 6s. Because in 6s, if you have a West Coast lineup that is on West Host, playing a bunch of East Coasters, it is a much worse uh, time for the East Coasters and vice versa. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But let's move on to the eSports drama. Today, the registration for the Tampa Bay Lightning and Washington Capitals eSports event did open up. Now, this brought the displeasure of almost the entire North American community when they realized that some of their games might be on 1,000 ping because the Europeans are allowed to enter the tournament. All of this culminated in every single top North American player basically shouting out on Twitter about their displeasure of how it is being run. The MVP of such comments, though, goes to Josh Fearless. In a tweet, he says, Shout out to the Finns for being absolute unreasonable. I'll make sure to cry to all of your organizers to allow NA players GG. Very straight to the point. That elicited a lot of responses from the Europeans, and it got pretty vulgar. Leading to the first season Gaming World Championships champion, Eki, responding with this. Grow up. My, the boys were getting nasty today. But here's my take on it. It's fantastic that the Europeans were included. Now everyone in North America, unfortunately, will cry about it, but that's fine. They should have been included. It sucks that it's a connection-based thing. That being said, the way that they're running these tournaments and not having separate qualifiers for the Europeans and North Americans is a gigantic misstep. Having two Europeans, the top two, in an qual online qualifier in Europe, and then having two of those players, the top two, that finish in the qualifier, moving on to the top eight for Washington would make a lot more sense, with the remaining six obviously being from North America. That makes the most sense, and it's stunning to me that they're deciding to run it this way, because come qualifier day, there are going to be games that are just absolutely ridiculous, and it's going to be a very bad look. Because in the end, any one of the top players that loses out or gets rounded is just going to have another excuse to use because it's, oh, my connection sucks. But in this case, no one wants to lose on 100 ping, so I don't really blame them. Anyways, on to hut news. We got our Christmas rewards finally, and they were pretty good. We got two choice packs, allowing us to pick one player from each. 
One pack had a bunch of 86s, another had a bunch of 91s. I made a separate video that goes over what I would suggest depending on how your team is built right now on who to pick. But they were pretty good. Um, just, just a quick overview. Uh, if you don't want to check out that video, I mean, yeah, thanks a lot. But uh, if we're looking at the 86 overalls, the carry price, if you have a stacked team, is pretty good as a backup because he's got two to the beauty. Outside of that, you're really not going to use any of the 86s. Now, if you have kind of a lower team uh, and you need a forward, you want to choose the Michael Granlin. The reason for it is, well, he's the fastest and he's got a pretty decent shot and puck skills uh, for, for being an 86 overall. Uh, the 91 choices are obviously a little bit better. There's only really a few that I would consider. One, the 91 Sergei Bobrovsky, I would avoid completely. It'd be the 91 Duchesne. I have a pretty stacked team, and I put him on defense. I'm getting uh, big on putting forwards on defense this season because shot a good shot and speed from the point is a lot more valuable than trying to just put defensemen on the point who have terrible shots. Uh, the Shea Weber, obviously good on defense because he's got the 95 slap shot power but his accuracy is kind of cheeks uh, if you're looking for a right-handed player because there aren't very many blake wheeler is a unit unfortunately he's a little bit slower but still usable and his shot is pretty good around 90 he would be the one i would suggest if you're not going to take the duchene or weber something else i want to touch on is the evo sets so if you cash in 15 Evo, Evo 2 collectibles, you'll get a choice pack and a 1 in 3 chance to get someone good. Here's what I need to mention about this pack. First of all, if you don't have any Evo collectibles, it's going to cost you about 420k currently. You get a free Evo collectible, so with 14 at 30k, which is the average price right now, you're looking at about 420k. Here's the thing. There's really only about four Evo 2s that are actually worth that currently. So if you can pack the Stamkos, the Carlson, the Shifley, or the points, there is, or even the Kane. Sorry, Kane's going for a half-decent amount as well. If you don't get one of those four in your pack, which only has three choices, you've lost out. So if you open up a bunch of packs and you have a bunch of collectibles, then that's fine because it's obviously going to cost you less. I opened one for the boys and science, and I was able to get the 89 Steven Stamkos, which is going for about 500k, so at least I made some coins on that. He'd be one I'd hold on to. Here's the thing I want to mention. One, if you get a Morgan Riley, unless you get one of the four out of Kane, Shifley, Carlson, and Stamkos, pick Riley. All the other ones obviously are higher. There's some lower, but if you get that Riley, he is a guaranteed 99. So... Might as well just get him and take the 99 at the end of the year or wait a little while and see if he just becomes high enough high enough rated. He's guaranteed to go in to get um, Defensive Team of the Year. Also, if you do pack one of Carlson, Stamkos, Shifley, hold them. Because what's going to happen is outs, once the Evo 2 packs are gone and they're not readily available, their prices should skyrocket. Right now, there is a ton of Stamkoses on the market for about 500k, but they're getting undercut, and you could get one for about 475. I'd recommend just holding them until after the 11th. It's not even that long. So once they're out of the 11th and that set's gone, then you have at least a chance to, you know, a little bit of chance to increase the odds just because they won't be available. So again, it's not that long and I would recommend it's going to make you a ton of coins in the end. All right, guys. So let's talk defensive adjustments mid-game in versus in Hut. And again, it's something I've I've mentioned and, and showed in my How to Play Defense video in January, the, the recent one I just did. But I want to kind of get more in detail about it. Something that uh, 
I've kind of noticed recently, especially after watching that Leafs uh, gaming event with Padre and Gren, it was something that uh, coincided as well with a talk with one of the developers uh, in the Game Changer chat in regards to why the 1-4 specifically. And not to say that elite players don't run the 1-4, but something that I, I've changed, and this is the only thing I've changed recently, is I've changed from the 1-4 to the 1-2-2 red, and I've been aggressive because the the developer that I was speaking with, he had mentioned, and I mentioned this in a prior podcast, that uh, because the AI doesn't actually attack the puck, um, it's something that I tuned out so that it eliminated the skill zone a little bit. They'll pressure the player, but they won't actually attack the puck. You'll get some incidental contact, but nothing crazy. So what I've done is now I switch to the second a pass is made, let's say on the rush, okay? And again, this is going to be kind of hard to uh, for the podcast to show, but I'm going to try and describe it the best, best I can. So let's say you're on the rush and you're defending the rush, and it's a two-on-two, three-on-three, nothing crazy, right? They have the puck. What you want to do is be constantly pressuring the guy with the puck at all times with the R1. Now, that being said, the second that you get behind them or you lose a step, you need to switch. And what when you do the switch, you need to make sure that you're not pulling your player out of position. Something that I see when players get aggressive or players that aren't very good get aggressive and it's why I preach passiveness to start a game, especially for um, you know the the lesser players. Is um, what you want to do is you want to make sure that you're only hitting R1 when you have a chance at the puck. Um, a lot of players will do it at all times or any time, and it's just going to lead to penalties. And it's something that I'm adjusting to as well with this new aggressiveness that I'm trying constantly with the one-two-two red and attacking the puck carry at all times. Um, but what I've come to notice is that I'm having a lot more success against very, very good players. So in the hut champs that I just did, as well as just on stream, anytime I've gotten a big E opponent, I've played much better. I haven't won them all, but I've played much better. And what it'll do is it'll stop that constant TOA. Like when you're playing a very, very good player and you're playing passive, what happens is eventually they'll break the 1-4, they'll get into the zone, and then you can't get them off the puck. And because you're playing passive... Uh, the AI will not attack the actual puck and get it back for you. So basically what you're waiting for is for the opponent to either shoot and you either block it or you get a save um, or some incidental contact. And that's not something you want to rely on. So being constantly aggressive. Now, what I need to mention is that when you're being aggressive, once you've made your attack and it doesn't go successfully, you need to switch. And when you switch players, if you can get good enough at holding R2 and selecting the player you want with the right thumbstick, but let's just say you're hitting R2, you need to make sure that if it's a defenseman, you don't pull a defenseman out of the defensive zone where he's supposed to be. So let's say you pull, you hit R2 and someone's cycling in the corner and you've been pressuring with your winger and eventually he gets beat. The next step is to take your, uh, you hit R2 and if you get that, that defenseman, uh, that's covering the one-timer. This is where it gets kind of tricky because you need to either make a choice. I would say right now, nine times out of ten players will go for the short side of wrister, so don't play for the one-timer. Uh, but you need to attack, but you need to make sure you're not pulling them out of position. And uh, learning where you're actually supposed to be in the defensive zone is super important, but even more on the rush. So let's say uh, you're, you're your centerman, okay, and it's a three-on-three. You want to pressure the guy with the puck with your centerman. The second that you get uh, that he passes it to either one of the wingers, that's when you select your defenseman and you attack immediately at the blue line. And you're going to see a lot of success with it, I think. I know I have. 
And what's crazy about this is if you pair this strategy with the 2-3 and full 4-check, the amount of offensive zone turnovers that you're going to cause because you're constantly hounding the player is crazy. So again, the best way to implement this strategy is the second that a pass is made and it's far enough away from the player you have selected, switch players immediately. Because again, that player that you have selected is now useless. If you stay with him and you let your your AI kind of defend, what's going to happen is they're going to give zone entry. And they're even, if, if you have them set to high aggressiveness even, they may slowly attack the puck creator, but they're not going to attack the puck, which is just the flaw in letting you uh, letting your AI control your defense right now. So it does you no good. You need to you need to start attacking the puck carrier with the guy you have selected. You need to be the one constantly doing it, and it's going to take a lot of practice. Like I said, guys, the R1 thing, you need to make sure that you're only hitting R1 when the puck is available to you, okay? Because if you hit R1 when you're behind him or, or even right in front of him, really, and you're, and you're not hitting the puck, he's got it held out, uh, it's just going to be a penalty. So it's something you got to watch for, but the amount of turnovers you're going to do with it as well. Now, in my How to Play Defense video, I do mention always start the game with passive strategies. I want you guys to get good with passive strategies because it allows you to read the play. What it will allow is um, the, the passiveness will allow open passing lanes at the point and things like that. And that's what I want to get you guys to focus on and actually view because once you start seeing those plays and then you combine that with getting good at being aggressive, that's how you're going to get extremely good and really break that plateau uh, in hut and versus. So guys, that does it for today's episode. I'm trying to make these between 12 and 15 minutes, no more than 20, no less than 10. Uh, I do need to mention I am getting Anchor. I'm releasing my podcast on Anchor, and that is going to allow me to release them everywhere that podcasts are, are uh, put on. So iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, all that stuff so that I don't have to absolutely crush your guys' data. But still, unfortunately for this episode specifically, it's still going to be video, so I do apologize for that. But it is coming shortly. Again, guys, leave your comments of anything that you want, you want to ask me. I'm going to start doing a uh, question of the day kind of thing. Um, where I answer one of your guys' questions. Could be about the game, could be something you want to know about the Game Changer program, the ins and outs, those kinds of things. And uh, I'll be sure to see if I can't uh, I can't help you. If there's anyone that you think I should interview or someone that you guys want to hear from, let me know. I'll reach out. Maybe I can do it. The one with Gren, I think, went really well and actually helped a lot of players because it kind of gave you some insight on you know how you want to actually improve to get to that level. And uh, with all these esports events, there's definitely opportunity there. So, again, guys, thank you for listening or watching. I'm No Sleeves 12. You guys have a great day.